0: financial decisions you face them at every turn do you ever feel lost do you ever feel like you might be missing something or making a mistake join step right with lynn the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves their families and the greater community here's lynn wedham certified financial planner at step right capital planning welcome
1: to the step right with lynn radio show I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. Today, the show is called You, a Force for Good, and our guest is Cindy Stone. Have you ever experienced something and you wished you could change that one thing, but you thought, who am I? Who am I to make a difference? Who am I to think that I could impact others' lives? What could I possibly have to offer? And that was all it took to stop you. Sometimes our lack of confidence can stop us before we even get started. Today we'll explore how compassion is a driving force and changes the choices that we make and the actions we take. We'll look at the things that might stop us and how we can break through those limiting beliefs. We'll learn how to make great connections and mobilize groups to become a force for good in this world. And it's going to be an exciting show. My guest, Cindy Stone, is author, registered psychotherapist, Ericksonian hypnotherapist, and art therapist. She's a Bagua martial artist and is fascinated with the mind, the creative unconscious, dream, meditation, and trance states, and the role of limiting beliefs in shaping our lives. Her first book, The Incidental Guru, was a meditation on wholeness told through the story of a seemingly unredeemable aggressive street mutt she named Harry. It chronicled his transformation into a wonderfully wise beast and the incredible lessons she learned about herself in the process. She co-wrote the indie movie Expecting, directed by Deborah Day, and her first novel, Scorpion, published by Rebel Press, will be on the shelves in either spring or fall of 2016. In the 1990s, Cindy became an international human rights observer with information on Ireland campaign. She went to Northern Ireland for many years, where they not only acted as witnesses to the often violent marching season, but also brought influential Canadians to meet with political groups in an effort to bridge ideological gaps, decrease tensions, and bring about new ideas in solving intransience in the political process. In 2007, she and her partner founded Agua Por Vida, Water for Life, a charitable foundation dedicated to sustainable development in three remote Nicaraguan villages. Their mission was to equip a satellite hospital, provide educational materials to the schools, and build a 25-kilometer water pipeline with pump to supply the three villages with fresh running water. Water hoarding had caused a substantial rise in deaths attributed to waterborne illnesses and dang fever. Welcome, Cindy.
2: Hello, Lynn. It's so nice to be here.
1: It's great to have you on the show today, Cindy. I mean, there's a million questions that come up just from your bio. The first one is, is Harry still with us?
2: No, Harry left us, oh gosh, about six years ago now. And I took him on a wonderful trip around Lake Superior. Just before he left on his last trip, we went on a little journey together, and it was lovely. And he had a lovely passing from this world, and he was an amazing dog.
1: Yeah, I I was thinking it had been quite some time since we'd been in contact, and I was thinking that if Harry was still around, he would have been a pretty old dog.
2: (laughs) Yes, he would have. He only lived to about 10 years old.
1: And, and I thought yeah. as a
2: street dog, he would live till he was about 16, so I was kind of surprised when he left us so early. Yeah. But he had an amazing life.
1: Yeah. And certainly, when we talk about Harry, we would direct you back to, to that book. Maybe tell us the title and just a little bit about it. Some of our listeners may not be aware of that book either, Cindy.
2: The Incidental Guru, Lessons in Healing from a Dog, was a book that I wrote, I think it's now 12 years ago. And it chronicled the story of Harry, who was a really aggressive, terrible street dog, who was absolutely wild. And I Mm. didn't understand him at all. And it was his efforts to make me understand him in the way that he needed to be understood, that I learned so much about the deep connections between all of us, and how listening for what someone else is saying, or what Harry was trying to teach me, And that experience really made a profound impact on my life and changed me forever and caused me to write my first book.
1: And he actually bit you, didn't he? You had to overcome um, (laughs) that
2: initial misunderstanding, I guess. (laughs) The initial misunderstanding, yes. He he took uh, quite a bite into my arm, and it was shocking. And I think that I used that as a metaphor during the book to help us all think about those shocking moments in our life that are like, wow, how did that happen? And then how mm. we can pick up from those moments. It's usually right. the darkest time where we learn our deepest lessons. Before
1: we, you know, stop talking about some of the things in your bio alone, I just wanted to make another reference to the Water for Life charitable foundation. Yes, the foundation is called Water for Life. For these villages, some of the things we so take for granted, you know, turning on our tap, sometimes every few minutes through a day, we so take that for granted and the foundation is called Water for Life and water really does mean life in those countries, doesn't it?
2: Oh, it really does. I think around the world, 70,000 children per day die of waterborne illnesses and that's a substantial number. And when I was in these three small villages in Nicaragua, people were dying from water hoarding. And they did have water, but they had to go 24 kilometers to get it. So they would take Mm -hmm. their pails and jugs and travel that 24 kilometers, and then they would just keep these pails around for weeks at a time. And of course, when you have that happening, then you've got parasites growing in the water. You've got mosquito larvae growing, and that's what causes dengue fever and, of course, malaria. But dengue fever is what really happened to those villages. It evolved into hemorrhagic dengue fever, and that's when the death toll really rose. So we saw an opportunity to build this 24-kilometer pipeline with a pump and get the clean water from deep in the earth, bring it up to the surface, and then build this pipeline. And as the pipeline was built with the help of a gold mine close to these three villages, which is why mm-hmm. they grew up around a little mountain mm-hmm. and were okay. so remote, they went looking for gold and, of course, didn't find anything. There wasn't oh. enough work to support these three villages. Only some of the men got work, and the rest were left, you know, struggling, doing nothing, looking for anything. And so we taught the men how to build the pipeline and gave them skills like welding skills and all of these kinds of things so that they would Mm -hmm. begin to be able to have a sustainable economy for these three little villages. And what they ended up developing was a little water business. And they filtered the water and they created a clean water processing plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, they filled up water bottles and then they started selling it into the cities.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, so it was really, it was an amazing experience to be there. The people of Nicaragua are amazing. They're wonderful, open, warm people, and uh, it was just an absolute honor to go in there and be part of these three communities for a couple of years.
1: Well, that's a solution to some basic needs that became a much bigger solution, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, it was uh, pretty productive, <laughs> and uh, and the death toll uh, significantly decreased, and the communities began to thrive. That's wonderful.
1: I know I heard some years back, there was an organization, it was in Haiti, but they were putting wells in the villages in Haiti, and just the difference that that makes to a community that doesn't have water. To begin with, is amazing, and and the cost to do that in our terms did not seem to be large numbers to me. Now this was a few years back, but
2: mm-hmm. you know it
1: was something like five thousand dollars could put a well in a village.
2: Yeah. Well, this water pipeline project was significantly more expensive than that.
1: Well, and yeah, uh, you took it twenty-four <laughs> kilometers from the source, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah, and
2: there had to be a pump. Yeah, it it was a pretty expensive project, but I think that it was a very successful one. And the limitations of our charitable foundation in Canada was such that once that was finished, the charity had to be no longer.
1: Okay. So
2: that charity is over. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was really interesting because there was still so much work that we could have done there. The villages wanted to create a bakery for the women and then sell bread. But unfortunately, it was the way that the charities have specific reasons why you exist now. Your mandate that you'd you'd
1: set out initially. That's Hmm.
2: right. And they're really strict about it. And it's kind of an interesting process because I have another friend now who has a charity for Mexico. And Hmm. uh, she's finding the same kinds of things at work where there's limitations on everything.
1: Wow yeah that's great. We haven't really got into our uh, our topic yet, <laughs> so why don't we go for the break right now and then we'll come back and get right into our topic
0: Sounds great. This is step right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner, entrepreneur, educator, and radio show host with a vision of a future where families, neighborhoods, communities, and whole societies support each other where Each of us lives up to our own potentials so we can help others in a substantial way. Where giving back is something we all practice, whether of our time, our expertise, or our finances. You can reach Lynn with your comments or questions at 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at steprate.ca. That's 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at steprate.ca.
1: Welcome back to Step Right with Lynn. I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. Today, the title of our show is You, a Force for Good. My guest is Cindy Stone, author, psychotherapist, and more. So, Cindy, what is it that drives you to do the things you do? To work in these social change projects, you're writing books to empower people, you're working with your clients. What drives you to do what you do?
2: I guess at first, Lynn, it was just... I became involved in things, and I'm not even sure that I knew what was driving me. You know, I've been a psychotherapist for, oh, over 25 years now, and I think I just really wanted to help people, and I just felt like I had that within me. But recently, I've spent a lot more time contemplating compassion, and I guess the Dalai Lama has been a very strong inspiration in my life, and he spends four hours a day meditating. And most of his meditation is around compassion. And everything he does is motivated by compassion. So I've really spent a lot of time thinking about that as well. And, you know, we are an interconnected world. We are a relational world and we are relational beings. So everything we do is relational. We relate to ourselves. We relate to each other. We relate to our environment, our world, our universe. And I think that when we are driven by compassion, the choices that we make are going to be more positive for everybody, for ourselves and for others. So I think that these are the things that really drive me now.
1: So you said compassion changes the way we make choices. How would compassion change the way we would make our choices?
2: Well, I think that we all have, you know, as long as we're not psychopaths or sociopaths, which (laughs) we're probably not talking about that. But I think most of us have pockets of compassion and we make compassionate acts. We probably donate to charities or, you know, we take care of our children, we take care of our friends, that kind of thing. But when we really think about making every act we do an act of compassion, then it changes the outcome. The causality becomes different. It becomes more positive. There are times when we can do things out of a sense of selfishness or we think we're doing one thing, but when we're actually doing something else and the result will be quite different. You can really see it clearly with the Dalai Lama. Every answer he gives and every idea he has, the driving force behind it and underneath it is compassion. I had a friend that went to Bhutan and they were from the U.S. and they were looking at... Different countries and how they were dealing with social problems. And uh, they talked to the Minister of Happiness in Bhutan and they asked him, they were from the States, and they said, You know, what about all the guns in America? What are we going to do? And uh, the Minister of Happiness of Bhutan said, very slowly and quietly, with a big smile on his face, You Americans, you think that the guns are the problems? And you think that you need to solve this quickly, but there is time. There will be a time when Americans will realize that guns are not the answer. And I just think that it's a different way of really approaching problems.
1: Yeah, we certainly are looking for quick answers. That would be the
2: first thing that that comes to mind. And and sometimes I feel the urgency as well, like, you know, with what's been going on in the U.S. And all the people that are being killed by guns, you know, there is a kind of urgency to do something.
1: Yes. Well, and it's not just the US. We've had our, our share of increasing violence here too, I think, as well. Definitely,
2: um, there's no question about that.
1: The other thing when you started to tell your story and you said, Minister of Happiness and I said, Did she really <laughs> just say Minister of Happiness?
2: I did. You know, I think we need a minister of happiness. Absolutely. Um, And it just goes to show the mindset of the country is so different than what we have here. We have a minister of security. (laughs) We don't have a minister of happiness. I think we should talk to Justin about that. Mr. Trudeau could perhaps be the person to bring out a minister of happiness.
1: You bet. Yeah, we can all line up for that job. So you talked about compassion. Is compassion the thing that drives people to help other people or are there other things involved?
2: Well, I think that people are driven by different things. You mean if they are contributing to charity or yeah, social change? Yeah.
1: Do some people do it for what's in it for me or is it always something that's inside them that is that drive? I want to help.
2: I think that Most people have that drive of, I want to help. And then there's a lot of other people that will do it for different reasons. They're looking at a tax incentive (laughs) or Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. like that. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, a lot of good is done by people who are looking for a tax incentive or some place to put their money because Mm -hmm. they've made a lot. And how great is that? I mean, We live in this really gifted society. We can take so many things for granted. We can dream big or we can dream small. And we have so much more to give. You know, we're not quite like the refugees right now who are swarming Europe. They've left everything behind. They have nothing. They can't even think about this stuff. You know, we have the luxury of even being able to think of how we can help. There's a recent study that came out that was really interesting. I just read about it a few weeks ago. And they were studying babies. And they found that babies very naturally try to share their food. And I'm sure you Mm. remember that with your children. Mm -hmm. They just naturally want to share. And then there is a time where that shifts. And the researchers are thinking it doesn't shift because we become unnaturally charitable. It shifts because of some way we're interacting with the children. And I think that it's a really interesting study and I'm really looking forward to more of what they're doing. I have a friend that's a psychologist, and she thinks that nobody is charitable without enlightened self-interest. And so every charitable act is happening because they think that they're going to get something from it. It's like the tax incentive you get from giving to a charity.
1: Or the feeling that you
2: get. Or the feeling that you get. You know what? I think that that feeling is a really good motivator for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's another study that went on, which was really interesting in grocery store lineups people let strangers in who have less groceries than you do and there's no enlightened self-interest in that that is a pure act of charity that's true I've never and so of that
1: way.
2: i think that people really do have this charitable being inside and that there are things that happen throughout our lives and all of us have experiences throughout our lives that impact us that change us in fundamental ways Experiences in childhood, experiences throughout school, and those are the things that kind of mold us into who we become later. Now we can we can overcome those things. Of course, that's what therapy is about. That's what coaching mm-hmm. is about. And of course, some people just evolve naturally beyond what their experience has been that may put them down.
1: Mm-hmm. When you talk about the word compassion and that, you know, we're, we're getting involved in social change projects because of compassion. What about empathy? Is empathy the same thing?
2: Empathy and compassion are truly related. Empathy is more being able to experience what someone else feels, and compassion is a more active verb of doing something kind for others. And I think that when we really realize the interconnectedness of life, We are all connected, and I think that it's something that, you know, many people are talking about now. There's a knowledge of how interrelated and interconnected we are. But I think that when we really, really understand that and really embrace that idea, then we can give, and it just feels so good. Mm -hmm. Because we're giving to our world.
1: Right. I've heard, there's a saying, charity begins at home. When I hear that, I think that, you know, that means I'm just responsible to look after my immediate family. What do you think about that? Is giving this natural thing? This is kind of what you've been talking about. Do we learn it? Is it, is it natural
2: to us? I really do think that there's a natural aspect to giving and that it is drilled out of us. But as far as charity begins at home, I think if we really understand what that means rather than how we've taken that, which is kind of to become selfish and just take care of Mm -hmm. our own. But we do have to take care of ourselves, particularly Mm. in in this country or in, in this culture where we have so much. The more that we can help ourselves, then the more we're able to help others. So I think if we understand charity begins at home in that way, then we're going to be able to take care of more people. It's kind of like putting the oxygen mask on before you put it on your neighbor when you're in um, an airplane right. that's going down. <laughs> you know, yeah. You, yeah. You, you need to take care of yourself and you need to take care of your own financial world before you can take care of others. You know, the yeah. very, very wealthy men like uh, Bill Gates, I mean, he and Warren Buffett, they have the ability to take care of so many things and to give so much because they've made so much. And we don't have to do that much, and there's more to giving than just throwing money at a problem also. Oh, for sure.
1: Yes, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of the bulk of donations that are made to our organizations are the ones that come in a few dollars a month or once a year, but the people who do it regularly, and it's a small amount, those are the things that really add up for the charities. Most giving is done that way. Most giving is not, you know, $3 million for the wing of a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: right. So much is created a tiny bit at a time. Change happens a tiny baby step at a time. A journey, a journey of a 1,000 miles starts with one step. And all of those small contributions really add up quickly.
1: Right. So maybe that's one of the keys to this thought How can I make a difference? Is that all of these things add up to make the difference?
2: Mm -hmm. They certainly do. I think that we can all make a difference, and I think that it feels good, and we all want to make a difference in this world. And there are so many things that hold us back from that. But when we just think about, okay, let's do it, this means more than whatever is holding me back. And that's when you get that flow of charitable giving. That mm-hmm. feels so good and it's so rewarding to everybody. It helps the world.
1: Yeah, you're kind of talking about, you know, framing things in a way, kind of knowing what your goal is and framing the rest of your life around that. When we come back from this break, Cindy, I want to hear a little bit about Scorpion. That's your new novel. That's pretty exciting stuff. So we'll hear about that when we come back
0: is there a contribution that you dream of making what if you could make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible charitable giving is often presented as something you do when you're extremely wealthy or planning your estate step right with lynn focuses on good money management and designing your contribution at every step around the issues important to you learn how clarity about what is important to you gives every aspect of life new meaning tune in to step right with lynn regularly
1: Welcome back to our show today. This is Step Right with Lynn. I'm Lynn Wedham, and I'm your host. We've been talking with our guest, Cindy Stone. One of the topics we've been talking about here is compassion as it leads to change in our world. Now, Cindy, I want to ask you about the new novel that's coming out. It's called The Myriad. You've called it a romantic adventure, a mystical martial arts novel. It's part of a series. We've got secret societies and conspiracy, and how do you become inspired to take on a project like that? And how does it fit with all of your other work as an author, and all of the ways that you help people? How does that fit?
2: Ah, that's a very big question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first book of the series, the Myriad series, is called Scorpion, and. Okay. What I love about this novel, it's just been such a joy to be involved in and writing the characters and the story. It kind of encompasses everything that I love in life, all of the things that are important to me. There is various love relationships. There's martial arts, which I do. There's meditation. There's secret societies and conspiracy theory In that I'm hoping that this will let people maybe think a little bit deeper about the things that are going on in the world. Instead of just taking things for face value, instead of just listening to what all of the media outlets say and taking it for face value, looking a little deeper, really questioning, really beginning to use the critical factor to see what's going on behind the scenes or underneath It's geared to a young adult audience, but the adults that have read the previews really love the book, too, because there's lots of action in it. There's people in various stages of wealth. My main character, Avery, comes from a very wealthy New York family, and uh, she falls in love with a martial artist who has nothing, (laughs) basically. Mm, And uh, so it's a really interesting kind of way of seeing the world and how people give and I love the novel. I love the story. I hope that it has a really great life out there and touches a lot of people.
1: And I'm I'm sure it's a bit about how they learn to understand each other.
2: Oh, absolutely. When they (laughs) come
1: from different worlds, right?
2: (laughs) Yes. Hmm. They definitely come from different worlds and they have different challenges. And each of the characters in the novel have different skills that they excel at. So Mm -hmm. it's learning new skills and Seeing how people interact when they have these different abilities,
1: right. So that's what the book is about. And then, how does that fit with being a psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist? I guess it's your illustrating in the book with you know some of the things you believe.
2: Yes, again, I think it's that that relational aspect between people and story and life and causality. And instead of sitting in a room discussing with somebody and helping them to evolve and grow in the way that they want to and achieve their dreams and move past their limiting beliefs, this is a story that takes the reader on a a similar journey. And they can Mm -hmm. see how the characters interrelate, how they solve problems, how they grow and evolve during the course of the story and then the course of the series.
1: Okay. And do you believe that giving is part of our evolution?
2: Hmm, That's an interesting question. I think that there's no question that that humanity is evolving all the time, and hopefully, or it sure seems to me from you know when I started in this world to now, Mm -hmm. that there is a kind of evolution of ideas in terms of the interrelated interconnection of people. I think that you know. Even a century ago, there was small pockets of people beginning to talk about how interconnected we are. There was Eastern mysticism that was always about how interconnected we are. Mm, and yes. Um, yes, and actually, an interesting mm-hmm. note is my great great grandfather lived with the mystics in India in the 1800s, really? and he wrote yes. And uh, there's a thread of that in the novel. And he wrote about all of these ideas way back in the 1800s. And I just discovered all of his books and all of his writings. And it's just been so fascinating for me that here I am traveling in his footsteps, saying the same things, and he was doing it, you know, in the 1800s. Yeah, he was one of the first people that were bringing these Eastern mystical ideas of the interconnectedness and the interrelatedness of life to the Western world.
1: That's really interesting. It's in your DNA.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think so. And he was just small pocket back then. But now, you know, this is part of our regular um, discourse, certainly in Western culture and Eastern culture. And the Dalai Lama has done a lot to bringing these ideas to everyone.
1: Yeah. So he was, and for um, his time in studying what he was studying.
2: Yes, yes. And I think that because we live in a culture that is gifted, you know, I mean, we have the luxury of being able to dream and make money and do things that other countries maybe it's much more challenging. Uh, I think that when we have that that responsibility, then you know, we should be really encouraging the evolution. So. Yes, I think that, <laughs> back to your question, I think that mm-hmm. giving is evolving now in a, in a much greater way.
1: Yeah, that's something wonderful. Now, you study martial arts. You're also so involved in these peaceful pursuits. How do those two things come together?
2: <laughs> yes, my martial art is one of my passions. And peaceful pursuits is also one of my greatest passions. The martial art that I do, is it's called Bagua or Bagua Zhang, and it is one of three of the internal martial arts from the Wudang Mountains in China. And Tai Chi is the most well-known of these, and they're all related. Tai Chi, Bagua, and Xing Yi is the third one. And these three martial arts, it's not about fighting. It's about elevating the entire body, mind, and soul to a point where there would be no reason to fight. I mean, I have no reason to fight. I've never been in a physical fight in my life and never intended (laughs) to (laughs) be. You know, like it's just not part of my thing. But the martial art itself is about learning how to direct the chi and develop and evolve the chi and evolve the human being to a point where there's a spiritual oneness again that is about Feeling nature, feeling the world, feeling all of those around you, and mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. That's also a thread of the book, Scorpion. Okay.
1: Hmm. Okay, so that's kind of how it's all coming together. So the energy and feeling what's around
2: you—that's mm-hmm.
1: very interesting.
2: Connected um, to nature.
1: <laughs> hmm.
2: And when I think yeah. when you're really connected to nature in that deep way, it's much more difficult to be, you know, ruining the world. Every moment you become more aware of how you are using your products and all the disposable things that we have. Right. So, Cindy,
1: we've talked about the motivation for giving and how it can direct our lives. What stops some people from giving or getting involved in social change?
2: I think that many people think that they have nothing to give. And that's one of those things that I talked about earlier, where you're going through life and life kind of puts you down. And you think, what can I do? And these are the kind of limiting beliefs that most of us end up getting harnessed with through school and life. So limiting beliefs are the beliefs that make us feel like we're not able to achieve things, we can't do things. And There's one simple way that you can get through it if your limiting belief isn't too rigid, and that is Mm -hmm. by, you mentioned this, taking a look at your goal and just making that your purpose and Mm -hmm. moving past limiting belief and just going into your purpose. If the limiting beliefs are too rigid, then I suggest uh, some therapy or some help, not because you're sick, but just because you know, who needs to be harnessed by the idea that they can't do something or that they mm-hmm. can't do enough or that they can't do something simple like help somebody because they're too shy or they think, well, nobody oh. would want my help. There's a little boy who uh, became an, in- an Internet sensation, and I'm pretty sure that probably everybody saw him. He was amazing, the little boy who lost his mother first and then his father. and yes, I uh, saw that. And then he bought these little toys and he brought everybody a smile. Like what a beautiful thing to be able to do Mm -hmm. for people. So when you're feeling held back, there are things that you can do to just break through that limiting belief. Just recognizing that it's a limiting belief helps. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So again, it makes a difference in our world just doing something nice for someone.
2: Absolutely. Even if it's just seeing a lady struggling with, you know, an older lady struggling with her grocery bags, and you say, can I help you? You know, yeah. I've seen that happen so often, and it's just beautiful to see right? and beautiful to do.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes the ripples of that one nice thing that you do, you feel better, you make the person feel better. And I think that we're not always aware of the rippling effect that that can have on other people's day as well. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll get back to this topic after this message.
0: This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner, entrepreneur, educator, and radio show host with a vision of a future where families, neighborhoods, communities, and whole societies support each other, where each of us lives up to our own potential so we can help others in a substantial way, where giving back is something we all practice whether of our time, our expertise, or our finances. You can reach Lynn with your comments or questions at 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. That's 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at stepright.ca.
1: So welcome back to Step Right with Lynn. My guest is Cindy Stone. Cindy, if someone's looking to enrich their lives, How would you recommend that they begin?
2: Well, first of all, I think that a life full of purpose is a life that is enriched. And part of our purpose, I think, for being here is to help one another, is to connect with each other in a really genuine way. And there's nothing more enriching than being in a relationship with someone else or even with a pet (laughs) or Mm -hmm. a horse. Or the land, being in that relationship in a deep way changes lives and enriches us. But if we can take that extra step and actually really give to somebody who could use something, who could need something, you know, a smile, a little help, the neighbor who lost his wife, who is lonely, to stop and chat with him for a while. I mean, these are moments that are enriching in our lives. We're so busy, we're so fast, we don't even think about things. And if we take the time to just sit back, take a look at the world, take a look at those around us, and really genuinely connect. You know, we have the internet, which is wonderful. We connect through that, social media, all of these things, but there's nothing like a face to face connection with a human being, or a human being to a dog, or a human being just gardening and getting into the earth. These are the things that enrich our lives.
1: Yes. So you've really illustrated to us how we can make a difference on a day-to-day basis, really with the attitude that we leave our house in the morning with. What is it that you put as your intention when you go out in the morning?
2: Well, my intention is to approach the world and the day with great compassion and certainly don't do everything with great compassion. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm just a human being trying to do the best she can. But that is my intention and that's what I set out to do. And I kind of feel like with everything I do, I'm planting the seeds to become a better person every day. And with that, I'm hoping that I'll be able to do more and more each day and have a larger impact on the world with people who need that impact, too. I've spent you know, the better part of my life doing therapy with people, some who really need help, and others who are just like us, who are just trying to mm. do even better in their world and evolve even higher. So these are the things that have driven me in my life, and, and it's the way that I try to approach each day, is to make it the best.
1: So what would you say to those people who really feel drawn to some kind of large project, like, you know, your Water for Life. Anyway, yes,
2: Agua Por Vida.
1: Okay, so they really feel drawn to something like that, but it's a big project and they feel overwhelmed and that they aren't able to. What would you say to them?
2: Well, actually, that's a fantastic question because no one can do anything alone. And I think that when we try to do something alone, then we do feel overwhelmed. And one of the beautiful things in this world is that we are relational beings, and so we need to relate. And there's a way to reach out and to keep looking for the people that you need to be on your team to help you to achieve the goals that you need to achieve or that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. So it's really keeping on reaching out, making those connections, finding the people And uh, there's an old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will find you. I forget how it goes exactly, but you know the phrase. And that's the same kind of thing as when you're reaching out to people looking, you know, can you help here? Can you help? Can you help? You will end up connecting with the right people and you'll find the people and the group will come together and you support each other and you help each other and you achieve bigger things.
1: So you'd say we find what we're looking for when we know what we're looking for?
2: Absolutely. Nicely said. (laughs) And and I also think that there's also another message embedded in that, which is we can't do things alone. We need to do things by connecting with others. I think it was Helen Keller who said, we can only do so much when we're alone, but we can achieve so much more when we are with others.
1: Right. So we've had a message here about connecting for sure and I guess that shouldn't surprise me that that's the message that's coming from uh, that's coming from you because we've got the idea of connecting to ourselves and being aware really of of ourselves to begin with and the people around us you know maybe people in another part of the world there's that connection but also the connections that we need in order to make that difference. Mhm. So what would your final little message to us be today?
2: My final little message is to really think about the things that motivate you. Don't allow limiting beliefs to stop you. Each one of us has incredible gifts, and it is our our duty, I think, to give the world our gifts and to mm-hmm. connect with others.
1: And how can people reach you if they have further questions? or maybe they have limiting beliefs and they need help getting rid of them, how can they reach you?
2: They can reach me on my emails through CindyStoneAuthor.com or through Cindy Stone at incidentalguru.com or my newest website, which isn't up yet, but I can still get emails, is www.ImagineInspireEngage.com. I think it says it all. And my email for that is Cindy at imagine inspire
1: So that's Cindy at imagine inspire Thank you so much for being with us today, Cindy, and encouraging Thank us. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much, Lynn. I think your show is amazing.
1: Thanks so much. We'll have to talk with you again. This is Lynn Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Bye for now.
0: Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. We hope you'll join us next time. To learn more about mindful money management, we welcome you to go to soundcloud.com and search Step Right with Lynn. We appreciate your follows, likes, and shares. Until next time, remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community.